is Matt Leiner, and you're listening to Reign of Troy Radio. Reign of Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Get Michael Castillo on the phone. <laughs> Scrap, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe USB is five and seven and not going to a ball. Oh. All right, Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Here's your host, Michael Castillo. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio. This is part two of our big preseason bonanza, extravaganza, roundtable, what have you. We're going to talk about USC going into the season here on this episode. As always, be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Troy. Our email address is reignoftroy at fansider.com, and our phone number is 213-373-1872. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host, Alicia Deratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia, and we are joined again by Keely Orr of USCFootball.com. Hello, hello. Hello. Uh, we have lost the man. We are, we are a man down. We, uh, Kenny Martin from Traveler Hates Thursdays was in the first part, and the first part of this episode was awesome, doing a roundtable. Uh, he is no longer with us for part two, but we still got a bunch of stuff to uh, to talk about. He couldn't handle the heat in the Rot Studio. He's from Arizona. I don't think you can really say that. <laughs> yeah, that probably is, wasn't it. Is it rather warm there in the studio? It's got. I'm no- having serious. I'm seriously having like legit FOMO. It's really bothering me that I'm not there. I it's- told you you should have drove out here, Michael. I know. I, I know. It's gotten a little Should've. warm in here, honestly. I think the thermostat has gone back to its normal, uh, normal level. I had, I had it, put it down. Is, is it at 82? Perfect well sleeping weather, according 82. to uh, to Twitter. Yeah, that that is a whole load of uh, nope. <laughs> I have never had my thermostat set to 82 when I was going to sleep. That was that's I, not. Happening. I went on a family vacation back in June. For some reason, my mom set the thermostat to 80 while we were out and about for the day. So we came back after dinner and it was at 80 and it was legitimately warm in there. All hell was going to break loose because I'm like, why would you set it to 80? What are you thinking? What are you doing? (laughs) Well, I don't know. Like, it's usually like 80 degrees at home. Yeah, because we don't have air conditioning. (laughs) There's air conditioning here and it's in Nashville, Tennessee with humidity. Well, the the 85 when you're out of the house thing makes sense to me. Like, that's my my thermostat program. Just have it off when, when, when you're not home. Well, I mean, that would be ideal. But, like, I have an old school, like thermostat where you sort of set the timers or whatever well, and that, that's cool i wish i wish mine had that yeah my parents have and my my parents and my brother have one of those nests that like can tell when you're Ooh. home like that's legit i need some of that uh but i don't have that so like yeah the the best part of those is the ones that geo track your phone yeah so, so they, it, it can it can tell when you're driving home oh so turn on. It starts turn that's on. creepy is that really the best part that's just a little <laughs> bit too I, much for I'm, me i have given in to the idea that uh my phone and everything Everything's that i do you. is totally tracked and mm, yeah. i've accepted this fact as a as a fact of modern life and so i don't care <laughs> i guess yeah that's a good way to look yeah. at it yeah yeah, hey, the the world is an is a connected place, which is why we've got so many mailbag questions to answer. There's the perfect segue into this commercial break. I will be right back and open up the mailbag and talk about the Trojans. All 
All right, pals, let's talk about USC and the expectations for the season going ahead. Uh, we're going to save our predictions for our season prediction episode next week. And Keely, I'm pretty sure you guys are going to do predictions at some point Probably. over at uscfootball.com. So check those out at a later date. We're mostly going to be talking about expectations and then taking your, your listener questions here on this episode. Uh, Alicia, what's the benchmark for a successful season at USC this year? What is it? What What's that clear-cut, definitive answer of when you know that this will be a successful season, if it happens? Um, I've always gone back to the idea that you should um, win the Pac-12 South. At the very least, that's your that's your bare minimum. Um, but I, I've also I've been reflecting pretty much this whole off season about the Notre Dame question, and I think if you want to talk about successful as as opposed to like minimally uh, achieving, then I think a successful season would be to complete the Notre Dame turnaround. Uh, which maybe this is asking too much, but again, USC was the one who invo- invoked Notre Dame, so give me ten and two. Right. And we'll talk about they went, being they went nine and three nine and three fine let's go let's nine and three seems more reasonable but right e- either way nine nine and three ten and two show that you're a good team yes yeah Sh- show that, that you are that, that you made fair. you completed a Notre Dame esque turnaround not just a we got a little bit better and that's okay but we got a lot better and it's because of all those changes that we implemented that we told you we were going to in- implement and you know this is this is the result. So you you would essentially be taking out last year, where you went nine and three. Yeah. Uh, SC, sorry, went ten and three in in twenty sixteen. They went eleven and three the next year. And so then, if you if you're on that same trajectory, with I mean that that same level, you just eliminate twenty eighteen. That should be the expectation. So you go ten and three, eleven and three, a nine and four in that ballpark again. That. that that seems it seems like a good spot, Keely. What 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 is it for you? What's the benchmark? So is this for this season or in general for USC? For 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 this season, I think you have to go back to the Pac-12 championship at least make an appearance. Um, I don't think the South is that hard. The thing about USC is the talent's always there. They can be the best in the Pac-12, and I think that's that's the case for for USC always, but especially this season. I think they can do that. So I think getting back to the Pac-12 championship at least. And beating one of your rivals, you can't lose to both of them like they did in 2018. Yeah, I I think for me that that seems pretty clear. Get to the Pac-12 championship game, but that's not my answer because I think that there's a situation where divisions are not always foolproof. Uh, we saw it, you know, in 2016. SC didn't win the division, but they sure. won the Rose Bowl. So there's always a situation where you can go 10 and two and not win your division because. Utah wins a bunch of conference games or something like that. I, I think that's that's a case of, you know, making it difficult to say there's one true answer. I think the answer is really a mixture of things. I think you have to prove you're back onto that level that you were before, but you also have to win in the eye test. And that's why I, I don't necessarily think it matters um, if it's a 9-3 and three or 11-1 and one or 10-2. and two. Because I think this team can be ten and two and still struggle. I think this team can be nine and three and look really good. And and I know that I, I've said this on this podcast before that that seems counterintuitive to say that, but we've seen this. We we saw this team two years ago where the, they went eleven and three, um, and they went ten and two in the regular season, but they went ten and two with games in which they almost blew against Utah and games in which they had to pull it out of their ass against Texas. Right? Like we've seen. 
the good and the bad of nine and ten win seasons. So you got to have a, a good one of those uh, going forward for USC and for Clay Helton uh, in 2019. But those are the benchmarks. What's the realistic realistic expectations? What can you realistically expect for USC, Keeley? If you had to bet on one outcome, what what's that one outcome of you think is the most likely? No, I was going to give you a, a non-committal <laughs> answer. I was going to say anywhere. No hedge in the bets here. No <laughs> I was going to say anywhere between seven and five and nine and three. I think that's I, I see. I hate predictions. I'm yeah. such a indecisive person to begin with Same. that i hate this because my mind just goes well i could see this well i could see this and to like carry on what we talked about in part one usc can usc and do whatever you know so i don't really know but i'm gonna take a cop-out answer and say seven and five or between seven and five and nine nine and three uh yeah i i totally agree with that range um and it <laughs> it actually could be a lot bigger than that because yep. we could go down to five and seven if, we're, oh, if you no. really wanted to have that conversation, oh, no. as we had in part one. Uh, but yeah, if if I had to put my expectations on the season, it would be it would be winning the Pac-12 South, but not doing so at ten and two like I would like them to do in the Notre Dame range, but in the sort of eight and four, um, you beat Utah because you're at home. But then uh, you sort of lose your road games and it's tough and maybe it comes down to like a weird tiebreaker in the end. But, uh, you know, getting by UCLA ultimately wins you the the South, something like that, I think is is probably the way it's going to go down. I don't think that USC is going to um, kind of in, in your framing, Michael, where it's like, do they pass the eye test or not? I think that USC is less is more likely to pass the my minimum successful season benchmark of winning the South than of passing the eye test in a, in a comprehensive kind of way. I think sure. the offense being much improved will help a lot, yeah. but I think this team is probably still reasonably flawed. And I think that that will come through enough to limit the level that you could say, yeah, they pass the eye test. The weird thing, and I don't know if this is a case of optimistic Keely, if I want to steal a drop, I, for some reason, I feel like there's, if everything goes right, this could be a really, really talented team. But those are huge ifs. Like, yes. they're talented, but meaning, right. like, they could put it all together and this will actually That's be... That's the frustrating part of this team. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, I can see it happening where somehow you get really lucky with injuries. Then no, no one goes down on the O-liner or the, the defensive backs. This could be a team that puts it together. We reported in the war room, Graham Harrell wants to score 55 points a game. Like, if that really happens, like, we're talking about more things than the Pac-12 championship, yes. you know? So that's why I'm like, am I being too optimistic here? All the variables that have to go right for this to happen? I don't know. That's well, why I can really see it going either way. If they score 36 points a game, they're winning the Pac-12. Which is a 10-point improvement. Yeah. 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 Which is the 10-point the improvement that I think I think a lot, I think I've seen Ryan mention it. I, yeah, think, yeah, yeah. I think we've talked about just be a touchdown better and you're going to be eight and four as opposed to, to five and seven. Um, right. So, like, the 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 level to which USC needs to get better from this season to last is actually not that big if the luck comes in their way. Mm -hmm. The problem is yeah. where, you know, we just watched two weeks of fall camp and my injury list is already pretty dang, dang long. So, you know, what does that indicate to, to me? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. 
Yep. Yeah, and that uncertainty of what USC is is why SC is in the position that they are in the new AP poll, uh, which leads us to a Slack message from SJ in Santa Barbara. USC is not ranked in the preseason AP Top 25 for the first time since 2001. Do you think the Trojans will finish the season inside or outside of the Top 25? If the finish is inside, uh, will that be enough for Clay Helton to keep his job? Hmm. Inside or out? I'm going to say inside, but low 25. Like, like right above 25. And I think if that's to, the case. To, to, end, to end the year? Yeah. You think they're like, a, like 22 in the country or something? Sure, yeah. And if USC's ranked at all, I think he keeps his job. I really think the bar is low for Helton to keep his job. I I agree with that, assuming that Lin Swan is still the AD. Great point. So that's the big wild card, right? Mm-hmm. Because if Lin Swan's the AD, I agree with you. I think the, the threshold is very low for him to double down on. Yeah, let's, let's keep him around. If Lin Swan isn't the AD, then... Who knows? Then who who absolutely knows? Um, I I'll probably go a little bit higher than you, Keely. I'll pro- I'll say USC probably finishes what seventeen, sixteen, something like that, uh, which is really in the range that USC used to do, like uh, in in the Kiffin Sark era. That's always where it felt like USC would start and finish. But I'm pretty confident that USC will finish inside the top twenty five because I think USC is outside the top twenty five deservedly so because of what happened last season, but you win a couple games, you're going to be right back up in there. Yeah, I, I think SC ends up having their season play out very similarly to what they did in 2014. I think there'll be highs and there'll be lows. Um, they're going to end up going in that you know 8-9 win range, and that lands them in the bottom of the, of the top 25 because there's one thing people like, AP voters... Uh, like it's a USC team that's talented, mm-hmm. and if SC is winning eight nine games, the odds are with the talent on this team that those talented players had something to do with it, which means highlights, which means reasons to vote them. Um, maybe that doesn't mean that they get the benefit of the doubt that you see teams like LSU and Mississippi State get the have these four loss seasons where they're in the top ten or whatnot. I don't think they're gonna have one of those kind of things, but I think that they could be. A nine and four team that ends up ranked, you know, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, uh, to kind of split hairs between uh your guys' answer to that, which I think is pretty spot on. Uh which goes to a tweet we got from Biggie Fox. Where do we finish in the top twenty-five? He says, Yeah, I yeah, we we agree. If SC takes the step forward, that's where it is. But to go back to SJ's question, is that enough for Clay Helton to stay, Alicia? Um, I, I think that it is for Lin Swan. I think that if there's a new AD, it probably isn't unless it comes with a Pac-12 title. I think that a Pac-12 title is the only thing, uh, assuming everything happens, if new AD, all that kind of stuff goes down, the new AD couldn't possibly fire some a coach who's won the Pac-12. You could fire someone who's won the Pac-12 South, though. So you really think a new AD would come in and just be like, "Bye, Helton." I think I think it's possible. Now, I think if you're a new AD, you want to get your man, don't you? Yeah, I think. The yeah. question I would have is how, like, for instance, the national writers say USC uh, will have a new AD, will have fired Swan by October. How long will it take to hire the new AD? Because if the new AD gets in, gets hired in late November, then the new AD is now on a t- on a clock where. Can they come in and make that decision within two weeks? 
like the 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 isn't that a disaster scenario yeah isn't that the same thing that you had last time around where hayden was on this the the outskirts what if sc ends up in the same position where lynn swan's getting fired but he's like i'll be damned i'm making this hire yeah that would not be good but or or making the fire making the decision whatever it is and it gets to the point where they they bring in the new ad and it's too late to fire him it's too late to to make it to do anything i think that that's tricky. There's too many moving parts where, given USC's track record, I feel like there's bound to be a mistake well, along the way. And the other thing that you really have to, because if you're ta- if if the new AD and Carol Folt are concerned about perception and about filling the Coliseum next year, then they will do whatever it takes at, to as quickly as possible move into the next era with a new head coach. But if they're financially looking at some things, then it makes a lot of sense to hope that Clay Helton goes eight and four, does the bare minimum of acceptableness that you can say, fine, we're going to keep him around for next year because it'll be easier monetarily to deal with him next year. Uh, or the, or, you know, being able to go into it with a new AD who has been uh, settled in for a solid eight months and be able to really then make that decision in the fall from there, that makes a lot of sense. But my concern continues to be that people are already really unenthusiastic. Like, this offseason has been the most unenthusiastic I've ever seen from USC fans in general. And I can't imagine what next offseason will feel like. I think the bigger question that we keep coming back to at uscfootball.com, and that should really scare USC football fans, is that we're not sure this administration what they we're not sure what this administration wants from USC football as a whole. It seems right. just from a monetary standpoint, they don't want to invest in it. They don't want to keep up with the Alabamas, the Clemsons, and it just doesn't seem like it's a priority anymore. I mean, Ryan always tells us the story about how it wasn't even really a priority in the Carroll era where Reggie Bush was doing bench presses in like a closet, you know? So yeah. I I just don't know where it's going. And I think the same forces that kept clay helton on last season because it's comfortable and it's it's safe are still there and i think that will be the end game is they want a comfortable coach and they don't want to have to they're they won't want their hand forced to try and have so much uprooting with athletic department with clay helton etc right but but there's a difference between pursuing a championship which i agree i don't trust that this administration wants to pursue a championship but there's a difference between a helton that is stable and a Helton that is being booed every week in the Coliseum and people stop showing up. Yes, but I like I but think what that level is is And I don't know. And I think there's also just a perception in that upper echelon that it's still USC and fans will come no matter what. Yeah. And whether or not that's out of touch, I don't know. But I think that's I, I think the- it's extremely out of touch, right? Like because I think the idea of they don't know what to, they want out of this program is strictly based on the well, it's USC. We've always been great, so mm-hmm. we're bound to be great again. That's where I think it comes from. Yeah. I don't necessarily think it's because, you know, they don't want to win. I think it's they don't know how to win. And every time USC has won in the past, it's just happened. It's just Pete Carroll ended up becoming a lucky hire for Mike Garrett, right? It's it's that John Robinson was a, a, a internal hire that worked out. It's that they went out and got John McKay from Oregon and promoted him from an assistant. And then he ended up being the, one of the best coaches in college football history. Like 
every time that they've they've gotten to a point where you can be proud of, it's kind of happened on a situ in a situation that's just kind of happened by itself. And you go back to well, SC always recruits itself and all these things. And so why should USC invest? Because in their mind, well, SC is in a good position to where this thing can just happen at any moment. Well, which is true, but also like the problem at the same time, right? right? Like, right. But that, so then my question is this, and maybe this is, it's not even, you know, it's still hard to gauge because USC's bad recruiting class was still ranked top 20, but does the equation for USC change if the, like, is it ultimately worse for USC that they've recruited so well? Because I feel like you can give the, we're USC, we could be good at any point thing when you can point to having one of those talented rosters in the Pac-12 every year, where if you have another year of, you know, a 20th ranked, 25th ranked recruiting class, does your standing suddenly slip where the people in charge say, eh, the future doesn't look so bright anymore because the talent's not as much there? To me, it reminds me of, like, in high school, this is a horrible analogy, sorry if my parents are listening, in high school... (laughs) I knew I could kind of get away with just showing up and ditching. You oh. ditched a lot. No, Jeez. I no, I did not ditch, Michael. But I could get away with barely studying. I was the same. Yeah. You know, I could get away with barely studying, and never really came back to bite me. And sometimes it really did. Yeah. And you know, well, whoa, I was it, not prepared for this. The first and time that it comes back to bite you. It real com- comes back hard to bite you because and you have denial about it, yeah. right? Because yeah. you're like, well. Uh, this shouldn't have happened because I've never had this struggle before, yeah. right? And that's exactly, in my mind, what happened with the 2018 recruiting class. Yeah. USC banked on their winning record, how they looked mm-hmm. when they finished, and that's how you close the deals. That's how you get kids to come to your school. But when you yep. can't rest on that record, that was the first time that they were like, whoa, wait a minute. This guy's going across the country. This guy's going to a different Pac-12 school. And so I think right. that within the football program made eyes open and a little bit like whoa but again i don't know if the uh, people in the upper upper echelon pay attention to that do they even know what's happening in modern day recruiting i don't know well clearly clay help i mean uh lynn swan doesn't so (laughs) i don't know i mean sc just hasn't recruited well Well, i mean that's what it comes down to i mean when you when you have poor recruiting class or poor recruiting class what can you expect nothing but losing seasons am i right yeah pretty much Mm. All right. Uh, let's open up a mailbag. We got more questions, a ton more questions. Let's get to those up next. You've got mail. All right. Let's start the mailbag with a voicemail we got from Andrew in Buckeye Country. Hey, Ryan of Troy's crew and esteemed guests. Uh, this is Andrew from Buckeye Country. Um, in relation to. Uh, I was reviewing through uh, what was said last season after the the disastrous season that we had, and I came across um, what Clay Helton said uh, and wanted to point out um, his comments from the official post from the USC Athletics Department. Uh, The last line, he said, our number one goal is to win championships and we will not be satisfied with anything less. Like, going into this season, I think if this department and this program wants to be real and up with everybody, including the fans and the boosters, we need to hold Clay Hilton and the rest of the staff in the program, uh, hold their feet to the fire and point out these comments to 
to everyone and said, you guys said you want to change, and these are what Helton said. Championships are bust. And if nothing is done, and we fall short of either Pac-12 title or a national title, then, hate to say it, then Helton and company need to go. Um, hope everything pans out well this season, all things expected, I guess. Um, yeah, hope things go out well and fight on. Thanks for the call, Andrew. Yeah, I think this goes back to exactly what we were talking about a few minutes ago. Alicia, you, you brought up the point that how do you judge this team by the standards that they set? If, if they said they want to have a turnaround like Notre Dame, then by damn, we're going to judge them by that turnaround, right? And so Andrew's exactly right. You have to use those words to, you know, create the scorecard for what USC's turnaround ends up being. The interesting thing is the ambiguity in the word championships, because Helton's talking about Pac-12 titles and he's talking about national titles, just like Andrew said. But you know what's going to happen, right? SC wins the South. Well, we won a Pac-12 South championship. And Keely, I know you you don't win the South. You just clinch the South. Or whatever your, art, it's my your pet argument peeve. is. For the, it's my pet peeve. Because yeah. there's no title. You, there's nothing there. You don't get a banner. You get shirts. Do you? In 2011? Well, they, yeah, they wore you shirts don't remember in the 2011, game? even though they were... This was before my time, guys. Tech- <laughs> no, it, but... It was... It was B B K E before Keely York. Before Keely York. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, the the thing is that they have they have flat out said Pac twelve titles. Like, um I think it was Lynn Swan was asked about it and, and he said it was the Pac twelve championship that, that they were aiming for. Uh Clay Helton has said it's the Pac twelve championship that they're aiming for. So yeah, I think it's fair to hold them to that standard where I think the problem comes is that when you listen to that Lynn Swan interview on Dan Patrick, you hear him talking about how it's a process and you have to rebuild and all of that kind of stuff. So if you're really going through a rebuilding process, then you can give a lot of excuses for why you didn't contend for the Pac-12 championship this year because you're rebuilding for next year or the year after or whatever it is. So um, I think that, yes, we in the media fans should be able to, to hold up their words and, and say those things. but they are also almost guaranteed to come back with a rebuttal of, well, we're on the path there, and you, you, Rome wasn't built in a day kind of excuses, which... If SC wins eight games, well, it's a three-win improvement, yeah. and the three-win improvement is better than 80% of teams this year well, or whatever like that. USC wins eight games in 2019, and they get to say, well, 2020, JT Daniels is a junior. How much better will he be next year? Our secondary has a year under their belt yeah. now. Yada, yada, yada. I mean, the thing is, is like, I feel like people think that for some reason it's like a trial. And if we go, hey, exhibit A, you said this, they're going to be like, oh, yes, I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. I must resign right now. <laughs> and it's just not how it really works, you know? Objection. It, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's not a, no. you can't handle Sustained. the truth moment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it's difficult there. Uh, but yeah, you can absolutely, you know, bring up all those things. Will they be, will it matter bringing all those things up? I don't know, but that's exactly how this team should be judged nonetheless. Let's go to a text message we got from a rot bot in the 714. Message says, hi, Alicia. Wondering if USC's new flagship radio station, KBC 790, will be broadcasting games live without a delay, and who will be calling the games? Alicia, this is your question. 
You give it an answer. Uh, well, I I imagine they'll be broadcasting live from games, but I I would guess that there will be a delay because the delay is usually a uh, I don't is it is it mandated or is it just like standard that they have like what is it like a six second delay just in case stuff happens. Uh, that and I think it's also technical too. Yeah. Uh, as for who will be calling games, as far as I know, uh, Pete Arbogast will still be handling the the calls. Yeah. Uh, the big question is who will be handling hand, handling the analysis because uh, John Jackson uh, presumably won't be available to be supplying that this year. Um, it was really good to see him at practice. Uh, he he's been recovering from a stroke, but you can't really expect him to be uh, in the booth this year. So uh, I don't know. That's a, a mystery. Yeah, I'd like to see, if JJ can't do it, uh, I would like to see Paul McDonald come back. Paul McDonald's walked away from the job a few years ago because his son was going to play at, I want to say, New Mexico State, if that's right. Um, and he went to go watch him play football instead of being able to cover uh, the Trojans every every year. So I'd like Paul McDonald to come back because I thought he was great. Um, other than that, it's either going to be JJ trucking through and, and finding a way to do it or somebody new. And I don't know, you'd think an announcement at some point would, would come out about that. What do, you, what do you think the chances are that it's Petros at this stage? Zero? Zero. Zero, because he's, <laughs> he's got he's got other things going. It, I can't imagine that. I think it's more. it would be more likely that it would be Jordan Moore yeah, that's bumping the safe, up from, from sideline into the press box like he did with basketball. Yeah, that's what I so. expect. Yeah, but I, w- I would expect an announcement soon at some point. Uh, let's go to a Slack message we got from Stu. Can you guys keep an eye on OG and Chris Steele uh, in the cornerback battle? I think it could be overblown, but I don't know how a guy gets five picks in one week and then gets demoted to second string. Keely, what do you make of it? I mean, I think, I mean, Shotgun made this comparison between OG and ITS. And, and between the two, and I know it's about OG and Chris Steele, but I, part of me feels like Chris Steele has one side locked down. I see that happening at some point during the season. Um, but with OG and ITS, you get two different things. ITS will always be there. Whether or not he'll make a play on the ball uh, is up for grabs. You know, you don't know what he's going to do. OG is boomer bust. He's either going to make that flashy play or he's going to get uh, a bad play happen. You yeah. know, yeah, he's going to be. Thank yeah. you. But so I, I don't know what the coaches want. Do you want the guy who the more risk but more reward or do you go with the safer choice with ITS? I don't I don't really know there. Yeah, I I think coaches are usually inclined to go with the safer choice. And um, I will say, just to clarify, OG wasn't demoted to second string. He had been working uh, second string behind Greg Johnson to begin with. Greg Johnson moved Mm -hmm. over to Nickel uh, to work at Nickel at times. And uh, OG just, instead of OG graduating up to that second team, uh, it was Chris Steele who graduated up. And like Keeley said, I think that was more about who the left and right corners were. Because um, Elijah Griffin and Isaac Taylor Stewart have been working as the le- the left. If you're looking yeah. at if you're looking at the defense from like the safety, if you're if you're the safety to your left is uh, Isaac Taylor Stewart and Elijah Griffin, and to your right is Chris Steele. So that's part of it too. Is just that they're working technically in different positions, um, and and the other thing too is that I don't know. We we've seen other. DBs have a lot of interceptions in spurts, and that doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean that you're doing everything that you need to do to win a, a job. Like, I, 
Jamel Cook had yeah, that week where he was just picking off everything. And sometimes that's not a reflection of what the coaches, like Hila was getting at, what they're looking for, who is right. impressing them in the film room, uh, in in being in the right place at the right time, knowing the playbook, all of those kinds of things. It's a lot more complex than the plays that you're making on the practice field that we as the media are able to comment on. Because if there's an interception, it's always going to get mentioned because it's a big play. But interceptions aren't the end all and be all as far as what a defender is and isn't doing that's right or wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, when you mention things of like uh, with, with OG being you know, aggressive and he's going to take a risk and that that that's going to pay off for him a lot of times and it's going to also bite him in the, uh, a lot of times. And that kind of feel like Jack Jones a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and OJ's young and Jack Jones was young and we never got to see Jack Jones work through those mistakes. And OG was super young last year and all of his mistakes I would just kind of chalk off as being freshman mistakes last year. I wouldn't read too much into it. So you want to see him be able to be aggressive and just have it pay off more more often than not. And it's going to have to be proven in games. If if he's aggressive early on in the season and gets those things to pay off, he's going to win a job. He's going to find himself on the field more often than not. If he's aggressive and he gets burned a few times, then I would see a situation where you're like, well, I'll take ITS um, over him or, or, or whatnot. It's going to have to all be what happens in games and these guys are going to get plenty of opportunities you have to think early on in the season. Uh, Stu also says, do you guys think that Clay Helton is shell-shocked when it comes to injuries? I think since he came in with the sanctions and bodies were scarce, anytime a couple of injuries happen, shoulder pads and helmets again. I would say no. I don't think when we saw a ton of bodies in, on the rehab island, they went, uh, f I think, full pads or shoulder pads and helmets uh, when the prior week they had done no pads for that practice. So I don't think they toned it down. I just, oh man, I hate banging the practice drum and like the uniforms drum, but I do think there is a reluctance where that mindset is coming from. I don't know. It might be still a sanctions thing, but I don't think shell shocked is the right way to describe it. I like the pun because they wear shells. I don't uh, think, I don't know if that's what Stu was going for. But oh. I like it. I like it. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, um, maybe not shell shot, but like gun shy or something like that. Maybe shell shock implies that it's a reaction. I don't yeah. think it's a reaction. I think that Clay Helton ascribes to, um, sports science. Yes. There's a certain, there's, he's listening to some sort of sports science explanation for why, um, uh, you know, you, you don't need to be, you need to have certain, days to rest the bodies and get, you know, there's a lot of differing kind of sports science and, and you hear different opinions on this. Um, I mean, there are people who are advocating completely no tackle practices. Um, there are people who advocate, you know, all sorts of different things and you can buy into a lot of those things. And I think you can respectfully disagree with a lot of those things like I do. I think they should go full pads as often as possible. And they don't have to hit when they're in full pads, but they should just be in pads because yeah. we see the difference at practice in terms of the energy levels. Uh, but Clay Helton – okay, this is something I always say to people about practice. You can disagree with the way that the coaches implement practice. You can disagree with the, the, the processes that they put in place. But they're not doing anything arbitrarily. 
They're doing everything for one reason or another. And they would have an exp- they have explanations for why they do things the way that they do. Those aren't always the right things, but Clay- they're not, it's not always the things you want to hear. Either. Yeah, but Clay Helton isn't just deciding like, meh, let's just not practice in in pads because yeah. reasons. He's doing so because these are what our sports scientists say. These are these these are the recovery times that we need. These are this this the other thing. This is what the catapult data says. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. like, I I think that it's important to acknowledge that even as you. Like I've said, I might disagree. The thing I'll say, though, is that I just don't, from my personal opinion, I don't think that you can not prepare your body for full contact, full speed every Saturday by not mimicking that in some form or fashion during the week. I think it's hard on the body, and I think that's where injuries really come into play. Because I don't think we've seen, when USC does pull it back, the dramatic decrease in injuries i don't think that there's a correlation there, there certainly or a causation. Hasn't, there certainly hasn't been a decrease in, in injuries yeah like that that much i can tell you guaranteed if if their intention is to decrease injuries they have not done so since well, usc there, went there, away from tackling. there hasn't been a drastic change in injuries positive or negative and there hasn't been a you know a tangible like this burst in in the fourth quarter of games yeah. where they're they're fresh or, or whatnot which I, I think the the general answer to this as i say every single time it just comes down to winning games like you can it's like dieting right like there's a million ways to diet if you stick to it you're gonna lose weight right. and people are gonna be like you did it worked for you right well it's it's the same way with the practicing thing if you are if you subscribe to a certain method and you win with it and you have success great then that's what works for you it's the problem when it doesn't work for you then you probably need to change it up or maybe that just didn't matter in the whole grand scheme of things and so but i just keep going back to a podcast that i heard uh after graham harrell got hired it was harrell or or kingsbury i can't remember but it was ian boyd from sb nation he was talking about what is he going to bring to usc and one of the things he said was the air raid style of practice is you know not wearing pads being aggressive in different areas on defense and 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 whatnot and like that's what air raid teams tend to do. So I don't think that it's a shock that USC is doing this. I don't think it's a shock that they're that they're going in this direction where they're wearing pads even less than last year because that's kind of the the way they've gone with with the offense. And so if that's how air raid offenses are, then I then buy into it completely. But you gotta have you gotta have the wins to back that up. Um, you, you don't want to go into the air raid offense and then treat yourself like you're an I formation offense and completely bastardize the whole thing and, and doom yourself, but you got to be able to win and, and back up what you're saying. Uh, Stu's next question is how do you guys feel about the renovation being done with no Reggie memorabilia? That sucks. It does suck. Thank the NCAA. It was also predictable. Yeah. This is not a surprise. I'm still really bummed that. We don't think that the that the Heisman jerseys are coming back. <laughs> like that sucks. Am I lame, friend? I didn't like the jerseys. I didn't like them either. Like I, I don't like I don't like the tarpness of them. Like them being on a big giant tarp always looked tacky to me. All right, fine. If you guys don't like, w- would you guys agree that there should be some representation of the Heisman jersey numbers 
in the Colosseum. Yeah. Without a doubt. Okay. Yes. I just for, think for sure. it's not there. Yeah, but the, you can do it in a way that's better than that. Yeah, the jerseys made it seem a little tacky or like trivial. Yeah. Okay, so here's here's my thing though. If you're gonna not have the jerseys there, then don't have that space be empty. Like what are you putting there? Seats or that though that though that used to be seats. But now the whole band thing happened. Right. Well, again, sure. that this is where I'm like if you're not gonna have the jerseys there, then do something with it. Move the band back there. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, um, these but are like, all it, more it, complex. It goes back to the whole naked peristyle thing, yeah. though. Like just because you had the space didn't mean you needed to put Audi suites there. Yeah, true. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes less, less is, more. is more. Yeah. So, but but I agree. I mean, it'd be great if there was more Reggie stuff, but it, it was super predictable that there wasn't. Uh, it's good. There's some tweets from John. How do you see the dynamic between Graham Harrell and Clay Helton playing out? Will Helton be able to resist interjecting himself into the new offensive scheme, particularly at the first sign of trouble if USC does not come out of the gate strong within the first two games? This is an interesting question because this is a question that's been asked a lot about the quarterback battle. And I'm very curious to hear what Keely has to say about it because I'm sitting here thinking, like, if Helton has any say in any of this, then what was even the point? Like, Helton shouldn't have the end-all, be-all decision for the quarterback battle. Graham Harrell should make that decision. Graham Harrell uh, should... No, I, I think your head coach makes the decision. I think what what Clay, I think what matters here is that Clay Helton listens to Graham Harrell and trusts him, but I think you still want Clay Helton to make the decision because okay. the head coach needs to make the decision. Okay, fine. Clay Helton should be rubber-stamping anything that Graham Harrell wants is really what I'm sure. coming at. For sure. Because you hired him to save your job. So don't get in the way of him saving your job. Yeah, and this is why I specifically asked Clay Helton on Pac-12 Media Day, who's weighing in on the the quarterback decision? How much do you take in Graham Harrell's decision and maybe other position coaches? And he said, it'll be me and Graham Harrell, essentially. Um, The thing about that is, like, I just keep going back to the patterns we've seen from Helton so far in his tenure and how hard are those habits to break? You know, and and I wasn't skeptical until we saw the disparity in days between Helton and Harold when they said they wanted to narrow down the quarterback battle. Yep. And I actually put this in the group DM where I was like, you know, listen to what Graham Harold said when he was asked about narrowing down the quarterback battle. He was like, I think that's a question for for Helton, I guess. And the week prior, he was like, I think I want to narrow it down around practice ten. And that same day, Helton had said around practice twenty five or whatnot. Yeah. And so I think there was something worked out between that week of when we got to talk to them where it was like, hey, we're on a different page right now, what we're saying to the media. And so to me, that did raise my eyebrow. I was like, who pulled rank here? Obviously, I think Clay Helton did. And, right. and maybe it's his right to do that. You know, he's the head coach. It's his decision. And and maybe Harold was just being respectful of, of Helton because obviously Helton's going to make want to announce any type of decision like that. So i'm resisting putting on the tinfoil hat but i will say i am my dog ears are raised if you will yeah i mean i i agree that was a little bit concerning that they weren't that they at the very least that they didn't seem to be on the same page was concerning Mm -hmm. uh even if you don't read into the way that harold said that which i agree was a little bit red flaggy Mm -hmm. um but i still come back to like i i don't know like is Clay Helton stupid enough to get in the way of this new offense that isn't his offense, that is a totally different system, that is, a, you know, something that he brought in to transform what they do? I don't, I don't know. 
to me, I always wonder if Clay has kind of the the cutthroat mentality of like this is what needs to happen in order to be successful. Yeah. And what I always come back to is the decision about Neil Calloway. That seemed like a very clear decision. And it seemed like keeping him on and letting him go midseason like he did really put USC back in a lot of ways. And so it's that type of whatever was in Clay Helton to make that decision and prolong it, I think is still there in some ways. And so it makes me question his decision making going forward. I, I totally 100% agree. And that's the one that's one thing just on a broader sense. Uh, the The job of a head coach in part, whether you're an offensive head coach or a defensive head coach, the job of the head coach is to, um, you know, to evaluate your coordinator's game plans and then decide, you know, this this works, this doesn't, all that kind of stuff. Nick Saban is really good at deciding what what is and isn't quality from his assistant coaches. And my big concern with Clay Helton is his track record of deciding what are and aren't good ideas from his assistant coaches are really is really bad. It's not good. Like because he. he he can't have been talking up T Martin's game plans the way that he was. And then you get into the game and things fall apart. Like that ultimately is a reflection of Clay Helton's decision-making process. And so if we are questioning Clay Helton's decision-making, at least the wisdom that he's applying to these decisions, uh, then yeah, you do have to look at it and say, I don't know if I trust him to know, to even know what is good or bad about what Graham Harrell is telling him or what anybody is telling him. See, that to me is, is my biggest um, hang up with, with Clay Helton. I, I think your, your ideal coach should be someone who has the ability to be hands off and let their coaches coach, but know when to step in. Yeah. Right. Because Otherwise, you end up in a situation like Ed Ogeron at LSU where he's com- going to be completely hands-off. He's going to let all his coaches do everything. That only works to a specific point. But when it hits the fan, you got to be able to step in and be like, you know what? I'm going to take away play calling for this drive. I'm going to figure out something. I'm going to come up with, you know, sorry, Dave Aranda, you screwed up today. I'm taking over in the second half or whatever. Ed Ogeron doesn't have that ability, Right. And so I think that's the that what's what makes a coach like Ed O limiting. Clay Helton's problem is now you're in a situation where you want him to be in that same boat. You want him to be completely hands off and let everyone else do their job. But that puts you back into the boat of banking on all the coaches. And if all the coaches don't do their job, then what do you have left? Right? Like he stepped in before and it didn't do anything. He's not stepped in and it didn't do anything. And now it's kind of just put up or shut up and it kind of all falls outside of his hands, basically on the guys that he hired. Yeah, well, and that's the big question, right? Are the guys that he hired the right guys to lead them away? I mean, he's putting a lot right. of faith in Graham Harrell. That could work out. They're, or- they're not Dave Aranda, right? Like, no. If you can do the Ed around thing, if you have the best defensive coordinator in, in yeah, football. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Dave, Dave Randa. And he, he, maybe Graham Harrell is the best offensive coordinator. We we haven't seen it. It's got to be proven. Yeah. Well, and maybe Greg be, Burns is an upgrade at, as a DB's coach, but he's still got to prove it. And maybe Tim Drevno being the offensive line coach can be a big difference maker, but he's still got to prove it. And and you can't bank on it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, John's second question. 
Are you able to gauge how excited the players are regarding the new offensive scheme that Harold brings? Have they been receptive to it as a group? Yeah, I think that, you know, back to, at Pac-12 Media Day, you heard, you know, the players raving about it all spring. They were raving about it, especially the receivers, about the simplicity and all that stuff. I don't think that's questioned. But then at the caveat is we also heard Zach Banner say that Bob Connolly was the best coach he ever had in his life. <laughs> okay, but so, that's Zach Banner, too. <laughs> sure, but people are always going to be give praise to, to a situation, a, a new situation, just because that that's that's how people are. It's human instinct. Yeah, I would agree. I would just say, though, that personally talking to Graham Harrell, you, you come away impressed. You come away thinking that right. this guy knows what he's doing. He runs a scheme well. And granted, that's in my 10 minute or less conversations with him. And I'm not in meetings with him, film room, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's genuine. And I think you can back it up by just picking Graham Harrell's brain for as little as we have. Yeah. I mean, his his uh, sort of youthful and youthful youthful enthusiasm Mm -hmm. is is a bit infectious and i think that that is a good thing too so um yeah you do have to caution yourself because it's not like players are going to sit there and say no this new offensive scheme scheme sucks like they literally can't say that uh but you do get the sense that they like harrell that they respect harrell yeah um that is one of the biggest things that i like that i liked hearing about harrell it wasn't just that like oh, this guy's great, it's that, like, oh, we're afraid of him because, like... He's the he, enforcer. Yeah, he is known... Right. He demands a certain level of of of, uh, of um, action that, that you have to deliver or you will deal with consequences. And I think that is probably the most encouraging thing. More than being liked, it's being respected the way that he is. Yeah, you mentioned the enthusiasm. I, I think that's exactly it because it's a story about love, deception, greed, lust, and unbridled enthusiasm and that's what led to usc's downfall you you see uh clay helton was a country boy you might say a cockeyed optimist who got himself mixed up in the high stakes game of world diplomacy and international intrigue what michael is making a reference and a joke that neither i nor keely there's a lot of confusion in this studio (laughs) you guys don't watch seinfeld and it's very upsetting yeah no that's a big no for me Unbridled enthusiasm, okay? Jeez. We'll be right back. We'll answer more questions. With <laughs> more Seinfeld references. We'll be right back. You've got mail. Alright, Alicia, this question is for you from MDR. Hey, Rot, my question is for Alicia. What do you have against Jack Sears? Or better yet, what is with your love affair with JT Daniels? You're, quote, waiting for JT to take over? Why not just be objective about it? Sears played great against ASU, and you knock him, saying it was a, quote, simplified playbook. Sure it was, but that's not his fault. What did Daniel show in 11 games besides inconsistency and locking on to Amon Ross St. Brown? Sears had fans excited against ASU and looked comfortable as that game went on. Daniels, in his 10th start against UCLA, looked absolutely Aaron Corpish, and then gave the moronic answer and trying to throw the ball away and it slipped. Don't give the typical, quote, JT should have been in high school nonsense either. He's only four months younger than Trevor Lawrence and, in all caps, was held back in school. He's exactly where he should be in terms of academic class. 
JT is typical is a typ- typical batting practice hitter who can hit a homer in BP but strikes out in games. I'd rather have a gamer instead of a practice player, MDR. I just want to know when I became the JT Daniel shill all of a sudden because I remember calling for Jack Sears to start over him for the final few games of the season. I called for Matt Fink to start over him for the final good few games of the season. I came into spring camp hoping to see somebody like Jack Sears or Matt Fink take a step ahead of him. Because quite frankly, I prefer their style of play. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know where this whole JT is an Alicia show thing came from. I'm, I'm really not. Like, or wait, Alicia is a JT show? Jeez. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, JT's late. on his podcast. I mean, JT is an Alicia Talking show. Talking about you. <laughs> no, I don't think JT is an Alicia show, honestly. <laughs> no, I, 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 I just, I just, I'm trying to tell it like it is, guys. And I think we said this in part one, too. Like, the media are not conspiring to make, make it sound like JT is better than everyone else when he isn't. He has been the best quarterback from spring camp to fall camp. He is the incumbent. And Jack Sears would be would make more sense as the quarterback if Jack Sears practiced better. He has never been a good practice player. And I can't help that for him. I saw him in that game, too. I was very excited by him in that game. I've always said that I think if Jack Sears got into a football game, he'd be quite good. But I've also seen Jack Sears be incredibly inconsistent, throw a lot of interceptions and not be able to throw on the run. So, like. In practice, what we saw, you might get good Jack Sears in a game. You might get bad Jack Sears in the game. You, you, all things are possible there. Like, I, I think that people misconstrue criticism of one quarterback with, like, with like a lack of criticism of another quarterback. When I feel like I've been critical of all of the quarterbacks. None of them have impressed me very much. The difference is JT has starting experience under his belt. He has the best skill set as a passer. And... He's the guy who gets all the first team reps. So what are we supposed to tell you that he's not going to be the starting quarterback? Sorry, guys, he's going to be the starting quarterback. I also think it would be irresponsible of you to hype up the practices where Jack Sears hasn't been playing well. It would be yeah. weird for you to be like, he was great today when he wasn't. Yeah. Like I don't understand what's expected out of you. Yeah. Like you're just telling it like it is. Yeah. You know when I mentioned purgatory in part one of this podcast. Part of the purgatory is, can we get everyone to get on the same page about a quarterback? I am so sick of everyone. Half my mentions are Jack Sears. Half my mentions are JT. It's just, let's, let's all, can we just, everyone calm down? Yeah. My, my happy medium has been Matt Fink. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm the only person driving the Matt Fink train. I'd be perfectly happy to see him start just to stop it with the other two. Can I just go on my soapbox? Whoever wins the quarterback job does not matter. <laughs> like, the whole idea that they haven't separated themselves, you know what that means? It means it doesn't matter who wins the dang job. The, this team is going to be good if their offensive line is good. And if the offensive line is good, then whoever the quarterback is, 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 is named, whoever that is is going to have the ability to be good, too. If the offensive line is bad, it doesn't matter who was named the uh, the, the quarterback. They're going to struggle too. Like it all comes down to the offensive line. The whole system is tailored to make the job easier for the quarterback. So I don't care who wins the job, and and I think it's it's frustrating because I I do not like the how so much of the talk of college football and football in general, the pros too, revolves around the quarterback. And I think the result is a situation where. 
all fall camp, people have talked about the quarterbacks. The quarterback battle is the least interesting battle on the field to me. I think the offensive line battle between Jalen McKenzie and Drew Richmond was going to be more important and and have more of a say of what happens at the end of the season and and be more fascinating. I think the battle between those those rookie cornerbacks was going to be more interesting, right? But yet we love to talk about quarterbacks because those are the ones that we see all the time, right? So, and that's the reason why Oregon is ranked 11 in the preseason poll, even though Justin Herbert is like extremely overrated, but he's returning and everyone loves to talk about quarterbacks who could be picked in the NFL draft, right? And JT Daniels is the same age as Trevor Lawrence and Trevor Lawrence wants the national championship. And why isn't JT? So since JT's not, it's a failure. Like, Let's just take everything for what it is. Well, JT can be better. Jack Sears can be better. All these guys can be better. It's just... Your your quarterback hmm. is going to look better the better your team is. I mean, it's really yeah, right. it's really that simple. And and I do think it matters who comes out of the, of the starting job because somebody's going to have to be making the decisions that has USC's offense ticking. But that quarterback is all... None of the four quarterbacks are going to thrive if, like Michael said, the offensive line is bad. Yeah, that's that's really what it's going to come down to, you dang shill. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's go do a bunch of Slack messages we got from our pal, Dave in Orange County. Dave the Lesser. Uh, what face was Keely making at our girl, Alicia, when uh, she was recording the car cast? It was just like pure excitement. Because <laughs> we were walking up, I was so tired, and someone goes, hey, it's a car cast. And I was like, car cast, car, what? Oh, ooh, where is she? And then I was just like, Hi! <laughs> I just like put my hands out with my mouth open, like, wow! Yeah, it, it I didn't was, really have a game plan. And it, then I came back for more and it was just like, hi again. Yeah. And I was like, what am I doing? I'm such a dork. It was like, it was like high eyebrow, like eyebrows high, <laughs> yeah. open mouth, like, ah! I just don't know why you didn't film it. Like, I would have filmed it. I don't know thing. what it I was thinking. Hilarious. I think part of me was like, open the car door and just burst in. I, like, that's an obtrusive. I like, was ready. I was, I was going to reach. That would have been great. I was going to reach across it. to. To try and open the car door to, so that I could shout to you like, "Hey, get in here!" Wait, do you do this on the passenger side? I do it in the back seat now, and uh, I don't know if you oh. noticed my setup, but let's just talk about it. I do it in the back seat because I can stick the microphone in the gap between the headrest and the seat, so that I don't have to hold the mic, so that a my arm doesn't get tired, and b I don't have little finger noises. So I lean the seat back so that it's sort of you know fist length from away with the microphone there and then i have my computer on the side and the all my setup on the little console so yeah i sit in the back seat see all i saw was you in the back seat i thought you were holding the mic and then you have your headphones on you're just looking around talking you look like you were like some weird like trapped documentary person about like i've been living in this car for 24 days oh my god there were parking attendants that were like walking around and i just every time they walked by i was thinking like are they gonna come up to like ask like are you okay like trapped now something on like yeah you should maybe leave blink twice if you're okay (laughs) it was really hot in that that car by the way that's why i was a little bit grumpy oh that's the worst part of car casting oh i didn't think about that wow Oh, it has been brutal. We've done car casts. One time last year after Pact of Media Day, we did a car cast in the in at, at the uh, Hollywood structure. Highland in that in parking, that parking structure. Stru- oh, guys, yeah. what? 
And so we would have to stop every five minutes to open the door and just. Guys, <laughs> what are you doing? At that point, why and just it, drive out? No, I mean, the worst, the worst part is all the windows fog. So like the optics are hey, very terrible. A carcass, eh? It's it's just it's, it's, yeah. And then you get the security car that's just like driving around slowly, looking. It's yeah. It's not the, good. The car casting is definitely a little bit of of an awkwardness, but. I've now gotten into just because we're now on the topic for practice car cast. I go back to my car and then I turn on the car, crank the air conditioning down as low as it'll go. And I write my notes out like I organize my thoughts while that's happening. So then in the parking structure at USC, it works out well because I'm protected from the sun. I crank the air low so it gets pretty cold in there and then it stays at a comfortable level by the time I finish. But on that day, it was direct sunlight on the car the whole time. The air did yeah. not do anything. And yeah, it was it was not the fun. science behind car cast. All I'm going to say yeah. is that I'm going to be a car cast truther this season. They're not oh, true car cast, you liars. <laughs> They're going to be studio productions. I like the jankiness of the car cast. That's what makes it fun. Are hey. you going to get shanked? We don't know. Find out. <laughs> Keep listening. You like us talking about the feral cats yeah. and feral hogs and Which all that? Which fast food place did you choose? You're, it's always you're fun. You're really going to enjoy our BYU car cast. And when our, you guys are going to be delirious. Our Washington car cast. Yeah. And our, our, we're, our, we're like, we're, we're getting, we got fry sauce. and um, <laughs> Yeah. It's the best yeah. part. Don't get fry sauce on the microphone. There's yeah. a charm to the car cast, guys. <laughs> See, my fear has been like our spots to do car cast after Coliseum games are very predictable. Because um, it was 98% of the times we'd be at the McDonald's on Fig. Oh. Uh, the biggest in, in the lot. back, in the back of that, because it's got that big parking lot that goes back to Flower. And like, I would always think. If someone listened to the podcast, they could easily easily murder us because they'd know where we'd go, <laughs> and they would about. just kill us. I always yeah. thought about like stalking you guys, like in the in an endearing way, not in a creepy <laughs> not way, in a creepy murder and just way, like thanks. seeing if I could find you because you kind of drop hints. So, see to me, like I th- if I was in your shoes, like I think that would be super fun. But then I would also be like. But then they might get weirded out. Yeah, but it's that, you that guys. Might be really yeah. you, already got, you guys already know I'm creepy and obsessed and fangirl, sure. so you know it comes with the territory. Yeah, I, I, I thought it, I always think it's cool when I can see you guys doing instant analysis. I'm like, there it is. The sausage is getting made. Oh my gosh, no. <laughs> I love the backdrop for the oh, for the post fall. Uh, thank showcase. you. I cannot take credit for it. It was Dan Weber's idea. We propped it up on like a table. So that's why I'm like looking up at the camera. It was, a, but it was beautiful. So it looked great. How how awkward is it doing? Because I've heard you guys do a instant analysis in the press box. Oh, I hate and it so I'll, much. I hate it so much. I'll be there writing something, and then I can hear you in the back. Well, Dan, uh, when you look at the running game, like, what did you think of? The do I really and- sound like that? <laughs> I, yes, I did. Just right there, <laughs> Michael. <laughs> I would like to think no, I have I'm, more of a, a deeper radio. I wasn't trying to okay, do your voice. You. The point is, like. <laughs> I would be so uncomfortable. Like, I feel nervous talking about the podcast by myself. Like, in front of you guys just now talking, like, it it makes me nervous because I'm self-conscious about every word that I say. So I can't imagine doing it in a public place. I hate it so much. If you want to go and laugh, go to, like, 2015, 16, something, whatever. Not the latest Notre Dame trip, but the one before that. We were going to do it on the field. It got too cold. We went up to the the press box 
I look like I'm filming a hostage video. <laughs> like I look, I look so scared, so nervous, and I'm talking like this, and I hate it because it's it's horrible. It's, it's just... so bad, and like I go back and like I was doing like a real stuff, and I was like, this is so bad. But yeah, I hate it so much. Like. Even just doing it in front of you guys for Pactual Media Day, I hated that. But I just had to put it behind me and just be like, okay, we're going to do this and it's going to be good because everyone in this whole like auditorium is listening it. to us. So, yeah. To answer your question, yes, I hate it. So, so the best studying is on the field after the game when no one's around? Yes, but then the field guys are crazy and do not care if you're a body. They will go and get their grass mowed. Like, they really don't care. It's crazy. I'm always amazed at how quick they're – like, how – much they're in a hurry to mow that grass. They're ready. It's they know uh, they got to go uh, home. Schedule. They're ready to get their job done. Yeah, I don't blame I them. I guess yeah, that's true. Uh, let's go to Dave's next question. Who is Keeley's all-time my guy for USC football? We know that Michael loves him some RJ Soward, and Alicia loves to drool about tight ends. Also, Vavai. Uh, <laughs> but who's the one for Keeley? Can I get a definition for my guy? So I, I think my. The my guy thing is like, first of all, we're going to, it doesn't have to be SC. It could be SC or your your previous time during <laughs> BKE, um, BKE before Keely or mm-hmm. um, in that era when you rooted for a different team uh, that wore different colors, mm. who also used to play at the Coliseum. Mm. Um, but it's like the the guy that's like your your fan favorite basically like your 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 Sean Figgins like for instance Sean Figgins wasn't the best angel but like he was the fan favorite compared to say um who is who's the best angel at that time um Tori Hunter maybe Ron Lanera I love Tori Hunter I do too yeah sure sure Jared Weaver true my my guy for Angels was Eric Ibar, but no one cares about that. I was sad when they <laughs> Eric traded. Eric Ibar, that's a good pick. I loved him so much when they traded for uh, Simmons. I was like, I don't care. Well, how, did you, <laughs> how did you feel about uh, about Eckstein? Um, I that was a, like I was too young to really care and have emotional investment. Oh, I hated Eckstein. I hated him. Yeah. Speaking of Jared Weaver, tangent. You can edit this out <laughs> if you want to. Have you have you seen his avatar? Yes. Okay. I was watching the Dodgers Angels game like whatever two weeks ago, two months ago, whenever that happened, and I was being dumb Keeley fan and like, oh, the go Angels at a bar, and this guy was sitting in front of me, turned around to see like who's in Los Angeles rooting for the Angels, and it was Jared Weaver, and I was just like, oh my god, <laughs> it was. I was like, I couldn't breathe. I was like fourteen again. I was like, oh my gosh. Which is, did you say anything? No, because I'm a dork, and I was just so scared. And like even now, I'm getting starstruck thinking about it. But yeah. It, because when you become like a sports supporter, it kind of takes the fandom out of you. Right. And I was right back right. in there and it was incredible. But okay, far as my guy, everyone's going to hate me for this. I got to go back to my UCLA fandom <laughs> days. I've told you guys the story before, but when I had tried to interview Reggie Bush when he was at uh, one of the, I think it was the Helix Championship playoff game or whatever. I was like, I got to interview Reggie Bush. Of course, you have to, right? Yeah, yeah. But who was also there? My guy, Bruce Davis, who was a linebacker. <laughs> When I was a fan of UCLA, 
He was always mouthy. I loved it. He called out Kirk Herbstreet after UCLA <laughs> beat USC in 2006. I know everyone's turning well, off the podcast right now. Yourself right now. I know. I'm sorry, guys. I'm really, <laughs> really sorry. But he was there, and I really wanted to talk to him. I was like, this is a full circle moment. I can be like, I'm here partially because of you. Like, oh, my God. But I was like, if I don't interview Reggie Bush, this I will be fired. Like, this is just egregious. So I couldn't talk to him. But Bruce Davis, if you're out there, I'd we love need, to talk to you. We need, we need to get uh, what the What's Bruin show to have Bruce Davis on, and then oh my uh, God. we'll tell Keely she can go over to the studio. Yes, to please. The What's Bruin please show do. studio, and uh, and interview bomb that one. I guess so. I don't know. I don't even know what I'd say. I just be like, thank you. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It'd be weird. Well, well to, to switch it over to SC, uh, your boss Ryan Abraham has Tyler Vons. Mm-hmm. Alicia has Vivai Malpei. Who's your guy in terms of? a player you like to watch on this team. Now, you don't necessarily have to be a fan of, but the, you're a fan of watching you're, you're, them play. You're, you're, you're beating the drum on, on their hype train. Randomly, I was a big uh, Elijah Vera Tucker person last season. I thought he deserved first-team reps. I thought he yes. played really well when he was given the opportunity. So that was someone I was always like, AVT, AVT. Um, as far as my guy, Chris Trevino and I have joint custody of Muneer McLean. <laughs> Just because, like yeah, we had done, we did a, a inside look is what we call it. We basically like interviewed his high school coaches, his mom, like really got a sense of who he is and where he's from and whatnot. Um, and we did a full video about it. And so, you know, when we were talking to his coaches, everyone was like, he's like a Julio Jones, you know, and that's a high standard. But yeah. um, so I felt like we kind of had ownership and everyone was like, oh, this three star guy torn ACL meniscus. Who who's he going to be? Right. And then here he is popping off in fall camp. And so I was like, hey, we kind of knew about this. So <laughs> Man- Meniscus. His name is Munir. <laughs> ha ha ha. Everyone calls him Mumu. They're like, come on, Mumu. And I'm oh, like, that's, that's so not intimidating. That is not intimidating. But that's super cute. That's probably well, not is, what you was, want for like a football player. Was, was Juju intimidating? Uh, like it's the same thing. No, but Moo Moo makes me think of like chocolate milk. <laughs> <laughs> now I will only ever think of chocolate milk. Sure, sure. Uh, Dave's next question was the college football moment that got you to say, "I want to cover this growing up." But you already answered that, so we're just gonna move past that. <laughs> um, Dave also says, "What's the one thing you want to see change in how you cover the team?" I think I can speak to b- both of your points. You're gonna say being at practice. I'm guessing. Uh, no, actually not for me. Ooh. Well, I mean, yes, but as an, just as an aside, whenever they let us at practice, like, just let us shoot the whole practice. Like, <sighs> my goodness, yeah. it's not that big a deal. We're adults. We know not to shoot 11 on 11. I we mean, know not to us. give, well. Uh, no shade, no shade. <laughs> uh, allegedly we are all adults. Um, no, yeah, I just, I just think, uh, I don't know. I just think that they could be a little bit more understanding of like what we actually need and what we don't need and like i feel like it just an understanding that we mean reasonable. no harm yeah we're not here to film 11 on 11 and sell it to the willing team you yeah. know it's just like we want to make good content and, and which in turns help you helps you and your your pr you know methods i also would say just in a small sense, I would love to talk to the freshmen. We haven't been able to talk to the freshmen. I you really want to talk what? to like a Raylan Goforth or yeah. even a Munir. You know, what's up with them at this point? Goforth is interesting because he's been around a couple of camps. So you would think you would think he'd be, uh, you know, given access to by now. Yeah, I think it's just going to be one of those things where it's like, it's a free for all after the first game. And you're not going to ask like Adonis Ote, hey, what was it yeah. like going up against Velas yeah, each fall camp practice after Fresno State? Like, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. 
Uh, we got a tweet from Tilting Ground. It says, what game should I be streaming on the new Coliseum Wi-Fi instead of paying attention to USC and Fresno State? I looked this up. There's three answers. First one is Oregon against Auburn at uh, Jerry World. That's the easy answer, I think. Uh, that game is at 4.30, so you'd see the end of it. Uh, at 4 o'clock is Boise State at Florida State. Uh, or that's in Jacksonville. I think that one, one you might want to see the end. Uh, and the third game would be New Mexico State and Wazdu, which is at 7 o'clock. That's the only game that runs concurrent to USC Fresno State that you might want to watch. But I believe it's on the Pac-12 network, so you might need the Pac-12 network. The, the answer, my answer for those options is definitely Oregon, because one of the things I wish I had more time to do is to actually watch games of yeah. future USC opponents. So if I had the opportunity to sit down and watch that game, like, uh, that's what I would do. We might have more time now without seeing practice. Well, this is true. Yes. I'm super stoked about Utah BYU on that Thursday. Ooh. All those Thursdays. I, I was, was going to drive out to... I get to watch the yeah, hell out I, of the Thursday games. I like that. <laughs> I, I was going to drive out to LA on that Thursday, but now I'm thinking, like, that game's that day. So, like... Do I want to drive out Wednesday or Friday now? Because I, I want to watch that game. So, um, yeah, which is that Friday is our meetup, by the way. What? 7 p.m. at um, Rock, Rock and Brews in El Segundo. Yeah. Yep. The El Segundo uh, Rock and uh, Brews. 7 o'clock. On, the, on August the 30th. Yeah. Uh, let's get a tweet from Full of Nopes. Would you pay attention as a fan? What would you pay attention to as a fan to enjoy this season, Keely? I just think there's so many skill guys that are so talented that it it's it'll be hard not to pay attention to them. You know, the an Amon Ross St. Brown, um, Michael Pittman, et cetera, et cetera. Those are the guys that are gonna be lightening up no matter what really happens. Yeah. I think you gotta you, you gotta take in Michael Pittman for what he is. This is his last go. Mm-hmm. Enjoy it. And Ben Griffiths. Ben, yes, <laughs> just enjoy Ben Griffiths. No, I mean, but that's that really gets down My to... My God, Ben Griffiths. <laughs> that really gets down to just, like, enjoy what you can. Try not to be miserable. Like, you can choose to be miserable if you want, but you can also try to not be as miserable as, as like, will be possible at times. So just, like, you know, enjoy what's positive while it's there. Because th- that was what I was saying throughout 2017. It was like, dude... USC went to the Pac-12 title game. Like, enjoy that ride. You know, things could get worse. And then you'll be looking back on that season as like, oh, why did I spend it all being miserable? Because the next year you went five and seven and you saw what misery really looks like. So, yeah. Yep, indeed. Uh, let's finish this thing up with a final question we got from Scourge77. What are you guys' thoughts about the graph Bill Collie put out this past week? Hiring outside of the program works and USC needs to do it again. Urban Campbell, following USCFootball.com's Ryan Abraham's hiring criteria, seems to hold up. Thanks and fight on. Uh, this refers to, like I mentioned, Bill Connolly's graph, um, which, Alicia, are you, are you, you're a Wikipedia person like me, right? You like reading Wikipedia? I love Wikipedia, yes. Like I love going on soccer pa- team pages for Wikipedia's where they show like the transition of like, or the progression of like what division that they were in, in like 1932 versus 1952. I'm not that big of a nerd. (laughs) Oh, 
Well, there's this graph, and it looks really cool. And this graph looks just like this, with the exception of it, there would be lines on it that say, you know, first division, second division, third division of where they finished in the thing. So I like this because it shows your progression of where a team is. And for USC, there's a lot of high spots, right? Like during the Carroll era, they're super high. During the McKay area, they're super high. In the Robinson area, they're super high. In the Howard Jones area, they're super high. But a lot of lows in there, too up and down 10 years beyond that. Um, well, what, what, what's your take of the graph, Alicia? Yeah, I mean, it just shows that there are ebbs and flows to every, even like you think about USC as one of the most successful football programs in college football history, and you get ebbs and flows. You get ups and downs. And, uh, you know, that's, that's just the reality of college football. Um, I think that his the Bill Connolly's conclusion about hiring outside of USC is well taken, um, but all you know it it just comes it comes to show that you know hiring the wrong guy is going to have you dip and hiring the right guy is going to have you rise. For sure, uh, Keely, what's what say you? Yeah, I mean hiring people with experience as well. I think you can see that in the chart. People who maybe aren't the the insular hire, where it's the hey, you know the fight song. Come on down, you know? I think yeah. that also shows in this graph as well. <laughs> yeah, for for sure. So the point is, hire dudes who know what they're doing. If you hire or dudes who know what you're or doing. Women? Or women. Not to Jeez, pull that sorry. card. Not to pull that card. <laughs> I am horrible. Yes. Or women. Hey, I use dudes. Or women. Uh, Actually, yes. Neutral, yes, so. that's true. I hate it when people say like, Hey, dudes. Oh, sorry, Keely. Gal. And it's like, what? No, like, no. that makes me feel more awkward. Stop. <laughs> I, I use guy. I like my my word there. My full stop word there is guys. And like, yeah, that's, true. that's more problem than like than dudes. But I, when I say guys, I, I'm meaning it as like it, it's just a high you people who are present. There, there's, non-gender. A, there's a tw- there's a Twitch streamer that I watch all the time. And I know I'm super millennial. Yeah. Um, he always says, like, whenever I say dudes, like, that just means people. Yeah. Like, that doesn't mean, and which I think it's in this, in the way that you're saying, like, hey, hey, dudes, what's up? Or, or the, oh, there's, look at all the dudes I'm watching us or whatever. Like, that just means people. Uh, if you're saying, like, those dudes over there, you're probably talking about the group of guys, but. I don't know why That's I'm over-analyzing this. Yes, yeah, because I would never refer to a group of women, like, over there as those dudes. You would Unless say those like girls super, like, or those women bra. or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess all I'm going to say is, like, if there's a group of guys and I happen to be the only girl and someone walks in and they're like, hey, guys, hey, hey dudes or whatever, it's like a I, – I take it as a sign of respect that you're just including me yeah. with everyone. Yes. If you're, like, consciously sure, like, yeah. hello, men – and woman. and woman it's like oh, gosh please stop yeah. overthinking this yeah i'm a big fan right. of the whole let's just not overthink everything yes agreed yeah. so sorry for pulling that card on you michael i take it back <laughs> i put the card back back in my pocket i i mean sc can go hire a woman i don't care they hire the best person hire the best person the tweets That's are the coming point. i can feel it <laughs> hey who's the who's the assistant coach with the uh with the spurs Becky Becky Hammond. Let's have USC go hire her. I'm sure she could do a fine job as a football coach. Let's. let's I don't know if I want to read USC message boards. If if SC hired Becky Hammond, people didn't even want me in the locker room after the Rose Bowl win. So I can only imagine. Well, I don't want to be in the locker room after the Rose Bowl win. So we we've all seen a little too much in the locker room. True. True. 
Let's just end it there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Sorry. That'll wrap it's up late. this episode. <laughs> you uh, guys can tell. It, it's, it's almost 1 a.m. Yeah. We've been... Our runtime for this thing is three hours and seventeen minutes. <laughs> Too many so. words. And and we started an hour and a half after we had our like Arrival call time, time yeah. for this. Mm-hmm. So it's been a long time. That's why this is two parts. Uh thanks for listening. It's so late my Alexa just turned the lights off. So <laughs> that that Alexa, turn the living room light back on. She gonna do it? Oh hey. yeah, she did. She did. There we go. Creepy. Uh thank you. Um, yeah, so let's wrap this thing up right there. Thanks for listening as always. Keely, where can people find you? They can find me at Keely is my name on Twitter or at uscfootball.com. I just want to say thank you guys so much for having me on. I love being on the show. You know, I'm a fangirl. It's embarrassing, but I am. I love the show. I listen to it all the time, and you guys are great at what you do. Thank you. We're you a, are great at what you do. Fan, we're a fan boy and fan girl. Let me a get that dude. right. right? It, hashtag Team <laughs> Keely. Oh, why, thank yeah, you. Yeah, we're, we're fan dudes of you two. Fan, yeah, and fan the whole dudes. team at US Football. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah. I appreciate it. All right. Uh, you can follow us. <laughs> so awkward. <laughs> uh, at reignoftroyatfansider.com is our email address. Phone number 213-373-1872. Subscribe to our Patreon. Help grow the show. Help us go on traveling trips. Help us add new equipment and all that stuff. Supporting the show is great, and you get a bunch of bonus content for us. You know the spiel by now. So go do that, patreon.com slash Uh We'll be back next week with two big episodes. Our season predictions episode where we go through the schedule game by game, telling you if USC is going to win or USC is going to lose. And then you're going to remember what we say. And then you're going to come back to us in November and be like, you were such a dumbass. What were you thinking? What do you mean SC was going to beat Stanford? Why did you say this? You knew that they were going to lose. Whatever it is. That episode is going to drop early next week. And then the middle of next week, it's a new season. USC, Fresno State, our season preview. First of the season. Excited. I I always think the, the season really starts when I hear the solid verbal. Dan, Ty, help. I need picks of the week. I get super excited for that. I'm sure there's plenty of you guys that are super excited for our new over-under drop since we got complaints that last year sucked. So I'll make a new one. Wow. <laughs> Whatever it is. Right. No, it did suck last year, though. So I, I get it. Well, maybe you'll actually win this year. Like, maybe? Maybe. New, new drop, new, new competition. We've gotten several comments that I shouldn't even participate because I... I I've lost the last two years. <laughs> to be honest, it's kind of sad listening to you try and make up ground for the <laughs> second half of the season. It's like, but see, it's just... see, here's the problem. Here's the the same thing happens to me in over under that happens to me in Madden. I get down by like three, and then I'm like, oh shoot, I better pass on it every every play. I I, got, I better go super bold and like, it's like calm down, play the long game, think it through, think it through, top of the show, like. Art partner would say and get through. Yeah, this is your year, Michael. I, I just feel need, it. I, I don't do really, that. but I'm trying to hide you over. <laughs> this is my year. I'm due. I'm freaking due. Yeah, and I'm gonna you, get he that is done. Actually, he yeah, is due. but I, I don't, I, I don't want to bet against Alicia. I feel like that's bad news. No, so I, I leave no doubt. Oh wow, there you have it. All right, that's the end of the podcast. It's like we'll see you later. Bye. See ya. See ya. Yeah. Oh yeah. Meet up on next Friday. Okay. Bye. <laughs>
always want to say, suck it, What's Bruins show. <laughs> BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then... Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.